I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I see a red sun rising. It's high noon for Monday, October 11th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 264th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who was overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You did all of this just to feel okay. You had to take and take and take and reshape everything in your image. Because the only way you actually feel okay is when you know that you are in an unassailable majority. And so any time the illusion that everything you do and want and say and think is not representative of an unassailable majority, you make sure to bully and shame and censor until the only message remaining is the one that enforces your unassailable majority. And every now and then, That principle has to play out in real life. Like, for instance, on election day. And the thing is, you can't win elections if you're in this tiny minority. But to admit to being in a tiny minority, you would have to accept that there might be something about your ideas that other people don't like, which would mean that you might have to scale those ideas back to become part of that majority again so that you can feel okay. But that is work. And then that means you would have to give up the ideology. And neither one of those things are an option. So instead... What you do is reshape society to support the illusion that you are in a vast unassailable majority when you truly are not. And that is what has happened, commies. The thing is, no one really agrees with you, okay? I know it seems that way. And For those of us on my side of the fence, many people who agree with me also worry incessantly 
And I feel for them. I understand it. I just wish they would stop. But they worry incessantly that not enough people see what we see. Not enough people agree with us. Everybody is still asleep. They are all still brainwashed. They all still believe the central narrative that the mainstream media pushes out and out and out. But that's not the case, okay? Their majority is an illusion. It's a lie, just like everything else that comes from mainstream culture. The mainstream media is the state media. It exists to lie to you. It is there to create propaganda. And everything else that surrounds that is similarly false. How could any rational person in the world still believe that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and thus an overwhelming majority in both the popular vote and in the electoral college and that Joe Biden really actually is president and that the ideology of the global communists has won out in America based on these election statistics. No rational person could possibly believe that, especially not now, nearly a year later. Less of the country believes it now than they did then, according to the polls. Today, a new Rasmussen poll is out showing that 54% of independents think that Joe Biden is pretending to be president due to cheating. And that our culture went along with that. That is just implied. If you believe the first part, you have to believe the second. Okay. The mainstream media went along with it. The tech companies went along with it. Everyone has gone along with this illusion that people are now waking up to. They are understanding it was all a lie. They are understanding the COVID stuff was a lie. And now we are seeing the clear Evidence that the narrative about January 6th was a lie. Now, all of us have been on top of that evidence for nine months. You can go back and listen to my show on January 6th. I did a short show because I was trying to figure out exactly what was happening while I was watching things progress at the Capitol. And I said, you know, some of this looks pretty weird. This doesn't actually look like it's uh, what they're saying on the news. But nonetheless, the news played those clips again and again and again. They staged a fake impeachment of a president that was no longer in office, quote unquote. And people like Friar Cuck, Jamie Raskin, have tried to pull off that narrative now for nine months. And it's falling apart. Now, is it falling apart because new information has come to light? Hmm. There's some new information. Some of that new information might be convincing to what are normally referred to as normies, who I often call uh, Obamis and Romneys. They are simply uh, communists who think that they are centrists. <laughs> There's nothing less centrist than believing everything in the state media. Okay. If you have some slightly more conservative, edgy reaction to it, that doesn't make you a centrist. All right. You still believe the entire communist story. You're a commie. OK, Obamis and Romneys are just as much commies as the Bernie Sanders communists that we are accustomed to the Antifa communists. 
Yeah, the Romneys and Obamis might not want to live in a commune because their self-image is that of a high society rich person, someone with imaginary French friends. All of these people are constantly friends with an imaginary Frenchman who they are trying to impress with everything they do consciously and subconsciously. They're like, oh, man, I hope the imaginary Frenchman won't think I'm a dork. (laughs) And that's life for the Obamis and Romneys. But what's going on with that story doesn't rely on new information. Only Obamis and Romneys need that new information. The rest of us already have had the information for a very long time. And we had the courage of being able to say what is in front of our eyes instead of lying about what's in front of our eyes and pretending that it's something else or accepting the only thing we are shown by the state media. Isn't it incredible that they've basically just played the same 10 clips from January 6th over and over and over again for nine months? making people believe that that's the extent of what happened. Oh my God, I see those pictures of people pounding on the windows again. So scary. They were were smearing uh, excrement on the walls. (laughs) Like, honestly, man, honestly, child brains. Honestly, a child's brain could do better at discerning truth than these Obamis and Romneys watching Joe Scarborough. 14,000 hours of missing security footage that no one's allowed to see. But sure, the story that CNN is showing you with those 10 clips probably nails it. It's unbelievable. They're just trying to embarrass people. Anyway, there is such Good uh, work being done on the January 6th stuff by Darren Beatty at Revolver News. He dropped a piece last night. You got to check that out. And if you are the sort of person who is starting to understand that these state media stories just aren't true, not about any of it, okay? Not about COVID, not about the vaccines, not about the election, not about January 6th, not about Donald Trump being racist, the Russia hoax. It's all falling apart. Hunter Biden's laptop was real, children. Jeffrey Epstein really is friends with the Clintons. George Soros really does manipulate currencies as he says he does. And he really does try to take over countries as he says he does. And he really does fund color revolutions as he says he does. And yet, and yet, we have a whole, I don't know, 20 to 30% of this country who are child-brained communists who watch television every single day and are wrong about every single thing that matters in their lives. And that's where we are. And hey, commies, if you're the sort of commie who has allowed smart people to hang around with you through this very difficult time, you have not ejected them from your life in an attempt to eject them from society. Well, good for you. That decision, your uh, understanding, your level of understanding has started to pay off. 
And I'm glad that it has for you. Now what you need to do is go the rest of the distance. Okay. Before it is too late, please take those final steps, migrate back to America, leave all of those stupid and evil child brains, communist ideas behind. That's all you have to do. Okay. And then you begin your migration. You need to make amends with all of those people who you have bullied and shamed and tried to censor, tried to have fired from their jobs, tried to force to lose their jobs because they didn't comply with what you wanted. You need to make amends with all those people, but then you just migrate back where all of us will receive you with open arms. Okay. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Monday, high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies, come on back to America. You're going to be safe here. I can promise you of that. Just no stupid and evil communist ideas and make amends. That's it. We want you to come back into America because this American project is better when everyone is aboard. And we would like to bring you back aboard, okay, into the American project of human liberty, individual autonomy. Do you understand what those words mean? And a good place to begin your journey would be with this little clip from Trump's rally on Saturday night. You know, they're allowed to say that about me. They called it illegitimate. They called it everything in the book. It was fine. When I say it, now here's the difference. Hillary conceded. I never conceded. Never. Never conceded. No reason to concede. When you look at the numbers of these swing states, and we're going to go over them real quickly in a little while. But when you hear these numbers of swing states, there was no reason to concede. They should have conceded. They did the honest thing. Tack on our country. And you see, commies, he's right. OK, he never conceded. There have been open election fraud cases since last year. And they're not going away. You have to rely on the fact that nothing that happened to install the fake president in office broke any laws. None of it was based on fraud. The January 6th certification was real. The inauguration was real. Joe Biden's presidency is all real. Even though he's not really uh, appointing ambassadors and he's doing a lot of his work from a fake white house and kind of never got the nuclear football from Donald Trump when they had the transition. And Joe Biden also took a private plane into Washington DC for inauguration. And there's a thousand other things, a thousand other things. That make Joe Biden look like a fake president. And in fact, he is a fake president because all of those events were premised on fraud. Okay. And that's becoming obvious to everyone except for a very, very particular segment of the population. People who are completely addicted to the central narrative. And some of them are 
on the right. And some of them are on Fox News. Yesterday, uh, Megan McCain's wife, Ben Dominich, the big dummy in charge of The Federalist, who now hosts a show on Fox News, was trying to ridicule Steve Bannon for saying that Donald Trump would be back in 2022, if not before. And Ben Dominich was just like, but that's impossible. I mean, sure it is, Ben Dominich. And then Chris Wallace on Fox News had like a struggle session with Steve Scalise trying to get him to admit that Joe Biden was the legal winner in a fair and free election and was a legitimate president. Yesterday, yesterday he was trying to do that. Nearly a year after the election, the mainstream media is still trying to get people to admit Joe Biden is really president. They might, they just might consider that their position has been wrong all along. Now let's check in with CNN. This is one of the most insane communists in our national media, uh, Dean Obadala. This guy is absolutely bonkers, but this is hilarious. So let's laugh at it for a second. The most alarming Trump rally yet. While Donald Trump has held several rallies since the January 6th Capitol insurrection, his rally in Iowa Saturday was the most alarming by far. At Trump's past post-presidency events, you wouldn't find the state's leading GOP officials attending en masse. In fact, at a Georgia rally last month, Trump railed against the state's Republican leaders for refusing to assist him in illegally overturning the 2020 election. Trump even told the crowd that he'd prefer potential Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams as governor over his fellow Republican who's currently in office, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. And of course, CNN and its dumb commie writers are perpetuating the traditional separation of Republican and Democrat as if the little R next to one's name means that person is loyal while the other is not. And by the way, Dean, Trump was joking. Okay, he doesn't actually want Stacey Abrams to be governor. He was just talking about how bad Brian Kemp is. Saturday's rally in Iowa, though, was different. This one was attended by longtime Iowa U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, Iowa Reps Marionette Miller Meeks and Ashley Hinson and other mainstream Republican officials. Some of these very same people who just nine months ago were slamming Trump for his role in the Capitol riots were now only too happy to be seen supporting him. This is politics at its worst and at its most dangerous for, ah, you know what's coming, don't you? Our democracy, which means, of course, the ability to have George Soros's election apparatus in the country and just keep electing communists. That's what they mean. Their march toward global communism is being impeded. That is the definition of threat to our democracy. Back to the article. The most hypocritical of the bunch is Senator Grassley, who on January 6th was escorted by his security detail to a secure location to protect him from the pro-Trump mob that had laid siege on the Capitol. Grassley, who voted to certify the 2020 election, made a veiled reference to Trump in his statement, noting that the lawsuits filed after the election had failed and that 
Politicians in Washington should not second guess the courts once they have ruled. Okay. I mean, that is a pretty bland sentence, but okay. Let's say that Grassley fully believed the election results back then. Now, knowing what we know about Chuck Grassley, that sounds extraordinarily unlikely. So why did he go along with it? Well, who the hell knows? What matters is that Donald Trump gave Chuck Grassley his full and complete endorsement on Saturday night, which Grassley graciously accepted. Now, I don't like everything that Chuck Grassley does, but I also don't have full information about what goes on behind the scenes. If Trump at this stage is aligned with Chuck Grassley, then I got to think Chuck Grassley's doing something right. Back to the article. In February, however, after Trump's impeachment trial for allegedly inciting the January 6th insurrection, allegations which Trump has denied, and also reality has denied it. Grassley was even more direct with his criticism. He said in a statement that President Trump continued to argue that the election had been stolen, even though courts didn't back up his claims and belittled and harassed election officials, elected officials, I'm sorry, across the country to get his way. Well, good. He should have done more of that. Grassley added that Trump, quote, encouraged his own loyal vice president, Mike Pence, to take extraordinary and unconstitutional actions during the Electoral College count. End quote. Well, I definitely agree with Chuck Grassley, but let's go on. Grassley continued bluntly. There's no doubt in my mind that President Trump's language was extreme, aggressive, and irresponsible, sharing his view that all involved in the attack, including Trump, must take responsibility for their destructive actions that day. Flash forward to Saturday, and there was Grassley beaming as Trump offered a complete and total endorsement for re-election for the 88-year-old senator. Grassley responded, if I didn't accept the endorsement of a person that's got 91% of the Republican voters in Iowa, I wouldn't be too smart. Well, that's correct. To Grassley, it was, quote, smart to accept the endorsement of the man who spent Saturday's rally spouting the same falsehoods that led to the January 6th violence that caused Grassley to hide in fear. Now, again, that sentence is just so dishonest that it's not even worth parsing. Trump's litany of dangerous election lies at his Iowa rally ranged from irresponsible claims he won Wisconsin by a lot in 2020. Okay, this sentence goes on, but. That is not an irresponsible claim. Wisconsin courts last December said, ruled that 200,000 plus ballots were illegal. They were from the indefinitely confined people who claimed indefinitely confined status, but were not actually indefinitely confined. Some of them were actually on vacation, according to their Facebook pictures, not remotely confined. But they took that status because the communists in Wisconsin told them they could get away with it because of COVID. So Trump is exactly right when he says that he won Wisconsin by a lot. And the fraud in Wisconsin is overwhelming and obvious and will be proven so to everyone with no problem. There is no way that Joe Biden won Wisconsin. Facebook as a company might crumble because of Wisconsin, because their Center for Tech and Civic Life people deliberately, intentionally abused 
the Wisconsin election process, and it is proven in their own emails. I think the guy's name is uh, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. You can follow stuff about him. Garrett Ziegler knows all about this guy. Go to Garrett's page. You can find out all about Rubenstein, or you can just look him up. Spitzer Rubenstein, I think is what it is. Sorry. Back to Obadala's madness uh, that claims he won Wisconsin by a lot in 2020 to lying that the results of the recently released Arizona audit support his false claim that he had actually won that state. Again, he is right that the Arizona audit absolutely does support his claim that he won Arizona in what they released conclusively. There were 57,000 illegal votes in what the canvas says and the other stuff that was deleted, you can go on and on and on, hundreds of thousands of votes. That is not in question the way they're making it out to be. What Dean Obadala is using right now is the claim that everybody knows the count in the Arizona audit actually proved Joe Biden won by more because that's what the news reported and that's what Democrat politicians repeated. If you actually watch the hearing last week about the Arizona audit, you can see pretty easily that that's not true, but they don't want you to do that. What they want to do is continue to repeat the slogan that the audit showed Biden won by more and hope that no one asks how that happened, because then you would have to say, well, you know, uh, that's just a, a count of all the, the paper. Five months after the election was when they handed the paper over and the paper now matches what they said it matches. But do we know that the paper are valid votes? Nope. Do we know if the people supposedly having voted those pieces of paper are valid voters? Nope. Do we know that they're American citizens? No. You don't know any of those things. You don't know that those ballots are even real ballots. And of course, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors didn't hand over chain of custody documentation. They didn't hand over the routers or the Splunk logs. They didn't hand over all sorts of stuff. In that hearing last week, the, I think it was Bill Gates, but it might have been the, uh, might have been Jack Sellers, who are these two rhino morons on the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors who gave the most embarrassing testimony. I think that they just thought this would be so easy. They could get away with being as uninformed as they are, but I guess it's, you know, how are you going to lie through everything? If someone is able to ask you the questions that expose the lie, none of the Democrat politicians were willing to do that. And, uh, Friar Cuck, Jamie Raskin tried to, uh, hijack the questioning by Andy Biggs being like, Congressman, will you admit that Joe Biden legitimately won Arizona? And that the Arizona audit proved that Joe Biden legitimately won. And Andy Biggs was like, no, I don't know that at all. So that backfired and it, the, the hearing just spun out from there. And I encourage you to watch it if you're interested, interested in that. Or check out my friend CanCon on Telegram or Rumble or something. He is so good at uh, researching and laying out what's actually happened. He's followed the election stuff, all the cases like no one else. The guy is so good at his, at his job. I, I love that dude. I got to hang out with him a little bit at the uh, cyber symposium in South Dakota and just an all around great guy in my assessment. Very smart, does very good work. Check him out for real. But the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, the guys that were there, sellers and gates, they admitted 
to deleting material they were supposed to retain. And what they said is that they archived it. They backed it up elsewhere. So they didn't hand it over to the auditors, but they also didn't delete it. And the question was asked, well, did you delete uh, years prior to that? Because they said that they actually needed the space. <laughs> they needed the hard drive space. And they're like, did you delete elections prior to that? Well, no. So you just deleted that election then? Well, no, we archived it. So they basically deleted it from the thing they handed over and said that it's not actually deleted because they archived it somewhere else. They were supposed to hand it over. They did not hand it over. They admitted that in congressional testimony, and we're just supposed to believe that everything in Arizona is okay, according to communists like Dina Obadala. He writes, he even declared that, first of all, Biden didn't get elected, okay? The crowd responded to Trump's buffet of lies by chanting Trump won, Trump won. Correct. But Grassley wasn't alone in his duplicity. Also attending the rally was GOP rep Ashley Hinson, who had released a statement on January 13th about the Capitol attack, saying, I believe the president bears responsibility, and that is why I urged him personally to call off those who were violently storming the Capitol last week. I wish he had spoken up sooner, but he did not. Well, that is factually untrue. Okay, that's factually untrue. Trump released a video while the attack was ongoing, asking everyone to go home peacefully. That happened. Just because people didn't know it happened doesn't mean it didn't happen. The social media companies shut it down so that no one could see that message, so that no one could understand that Trump actually was not encouraging anything that happened on January 6th. And people like the deranged communist Dino Badala want to pretend that it doesn't exist. The mainstream media backs up the story that it doesn't exist. So now we have to pretend that Trump didn't actually tell people to go home or that he didn't say initially, I hear you're going to march down peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol to make your voices heard. That is not incitement to riot. And all of that was proven pretty clearly at the uh, sham of an impeachment trial. Yet her view of Trump's role in the January 6th act of domestic terrorism, as the FBI classified it, did not stop Hinson from attending Saturday's rally. Okay. Domestic terrorism, as the FBI classified it. Now, the FBI would never lie, except they lie all the time. And the FBI would never try to defeat Donald Trump by lying, except they do try to do that all the time, too. And the FBI would never try to uh, smear Americans to increase their ability to surveil them and persecute them, except the FBI does that all the time, too. <laughs> I mean, what is this journalism? This is insane. Nor did the fact that just days earlier, the Senate had released a 400 page report titled Subverting Justice about Trump's efforts to utilize the Department of Justice to help him illegally overturn the 2020 election, except that also has been disproven. In fact, none of Iowa's elected GOP officials who attended the rally appeared to be concerned that Trump had asked the Justice Department nine times to undermine the election results in what appears to some to be an attempted coup. Literally last week, there was an article that I was going to try to get to on the show, but never did about how Trump was completely exonerated from any malfeasance 
whatsoever with the Justice Department about overturning the election. A president suggesting to the president's attorney general that, uh, hey, Attorney General Barr, there is proof of election fraud all over the country. It would be cool if you did your job and investigated it. That's not a crime. That's not election interference. That's not attempting to subvert our democracy. That is national security. You don't need to be a historian to recognize the danger in a political party showing blind loyalty to one person. These GOP elected officials just several months ago rightly criticized Trump and his role in the false election claims that led to the January 6th attack. Now, what led to the January 6th attack was Nancy Pelosi, the FBI, and the Capitol Police deciding to make January 6th look like an attack. And we'll get to more of that too. With their presence at his rally this weekend, it seems they've now changed their tune. Perhaps they now agree with Trump's lies, but it's more likely their flip-flop comes from recent polls showing that 91% of Republicans in Iowa view Trump favorably. That and not wanting to face the wrath of Trump, like Georgia Governor Kemp, Wyoming Rep Liz Cheney, and other Republicans who have dared to speak truthfully about the election. God, I love these commies. They are hilarious. But who knows what Trump win will be the next litmus test for remaining in his good graces. When even Grassley, Iowa's longest serving U.S. senator, thinks it's smart politics to no longer criticize Trump for his un-American attack on our democracy and instead praise him in a pursuit of an eighth term in the Senate, it's clear that the party is no longer defined by policy ideas, but by absolute loyalty to Trump and his influence. To put it bluntly, today's GOP is how democracies die. <laughs> yes, like your democracy, Dean Obadala. Today's GOP, led by Donald Trump, is how your democracy dies. It is also how the American Republic is restored and maintained. But let's talk about those numbers in Iowa, okay? The idea here is that Chuck Grassley is abandoning his principles in favor of political expediency because he noted that Iowans overwhelmingly approve of Donald Trump and do not at all approve of Joe Biden. In fact, I think that the Iowa poll, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was 29% of independents. We saw a week or two ago, 29% of independents in Iowa have a favorable view of Joe Biden and approve of the job he's doing. Okay. And that is reflected throughout the country more or less. The idea that people don't believe that Trump won the election is utterly absurd. The polling is there. The polling has been there for months. Depending on how you ask the question, you can actually get those numbers a whole lot higher. In fact, I'll take a second to go over this uh, Rasmussen poll today. This is from Paul Bedard in the Washington Examiner, which is mostly a commie outlet at this point like a, just a mainstream Romney nonsense blog, but Paul Bedard is still good. And this is just describing a poll. So I think we can deal with that. Uh, Biden 2020 win tainted 56% say it was a cheater's paradise. I said 54 before 56%. A growing number of likely voters believe that cheating tainted president Joe Biden's 2020 win over former president Donald Trump. And even more feel that a key democratic election reform scheme will increase fraud. 
In the latest Rasmussen Report survey, 56% of respondents said it is likely that cheating affected the outcome of the 2020 presidential election, including 41% who say it's very likely. That is a significant increase from April when 51% said Biden's election was tainted by cheating. The change comes as Trump has continued to raise election integrity charges and as Democrats have tried to force through liberal election reforms and shut down GOP state voting reforms. In the new survey, voters told Rasmussen that they are not sold on efforts by Biden and congressional Democrats to expand COVID era voting by mail, believing it will, quote, lead to more cheating in elections, end quote. The results are a rejection of sorts of key features in House and Senate election reform bills supported by Biden and given to Vice President Kamala Harris to sell nationally. Why in the world would a competent administration give a key project to a vice president that the nation can't stand? Well, they wouldn't. So instead, what we have is propaganda where we have to pretend that somehow These terrible programs are supported by a majority. That majority does not exist. It's the same majority that voted for Joe Biden. It's the same majority that thinks Kamala Harris can do the job as vice president. The majority does not exist. By a 65 to 28 margin, likely voters told the polling outfit that they believe more mail-in voting options will boost cheating. That included a majority, 51%, who said it is very likely cheating will expand. The survey is the latest to suggest that partisans remain divided on the issue, though 95% agree with the vague goal of ending election cheating. Oh, good. 5% don't even want election cheating ended. That's that's quality. Okay, so 51% said it's very likely that cheating will expand due to Democrat election policies. Do you think it's possible that those people might understand that Democrat election policies already enabled cheating? (laughs) I, I felt like almost like Joe Biden in there for a second going, going into the whisper, not a joke, not a joke, people, not a joke. And then he turns to look at some seven year old and tell her she looks like She's 19 with her legs crossed. And hey, if you're new to the show, that really did happen. I'm not making that up to make Joe Biden sound creepy. He really did that. And of course, all of this is causing exactly the meltdown you would expect. Uh, Morning Joe nearly lost his mind this morning in response to the rally and in response to Steve Scalise on Fox News yesterday. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. That that's just sleazy. Yeah. That really is sleazy. It's cynical. It's despicable. Let me use the word. It's okay to use the word. It's deplorable. Deplorable. Let me say it again. Mm. Still lying and spreading lies for your constituents and the American people about what happened in last year's election is deplorable. When you have Trump justices across the United States saying there wasn't any widespread voter fraud. When you have the Supreme Court of the United States saying, yes, there were the in Pennsylvania, the the Supreme Court uh, let uh, overrode what the state legislature did. Uh, We should take a look at that at some point. It's not going to change the outcome of the election, said Alito and Thomas. 
Let's just take a look at it because it may have an influence in future elections. But I know so. Sounds like Morning Joe really has the uh, Biden was the real winner arguments down. Uh, Trump's judicial appointees said there was no widespread fraud. Well, no, that's not what they said at all, actually. They basically didn't take the cases. Most of the cases that they did take went Trump's way. Like the one I mentioned in Wisconsin. There were cases where the evidence shows clearly that there was widespread fraud, but those cases were thrown out for other reasons. I don't think we'll have seen the last of those. And there are still cases yet to come all using the obvious and overwhelming evidence of rampant widespread fraud and criminality that is coordinated and pervasive throughout the nation. That's what we actually have. So strap on in, Morning Joe. Nice explanation, though, about what the Supreme Court said. It sounds like you are very accurate on that one, too. Uh, the uh, 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 this, uh, the uh, Justice Alito, the Supreme, they said, well, it won't affect this election, uh, but uh, maybe the future. The way of the future. Way of the future. Way of the future. Way of the future. Everybody. You can go down the list. How about just his common sense? He knows better. Well, he, uh, of course. We all know this has, that this he has, knows this has better. Not- <laughs> you can just go down the list. Everybody. everybody. Well, how about just his common sense? He knows better. He knows better. She's scolding Steve Scalise for not behaving. That's what's happening right there. That's not an argument. He knows better. He knows better. Just his common sense. He knows better than saying something like maybe Joe Biden didn't win. He knows better. Okay, Kami, go with that. Nothing to do with him lacking common sense. It has everything to do with Republicans who lack common decency and who love their country and who actually respect the Constitution of the United States, who understand that a peaceful transition is one of the most important things uh, that, that we can do to actually follow through on what our founders gave us, the republic that our founders gave us, that men and women have fought and died for through the years. Really, Madisonian democracy doesn't work if you only respect elections when your side wins. That's what they do in communist countries. Gotta agree with Morning Joe there. Only respecting elections when you win is something that they do in communist countries. In fact, it's something that they do in this particular communist country right now for as long as the communists remain in whatever amount of political and cultural power they are in right now. Joe Scarborough just described exactly what happened in the last election and exactly how people like Joe Scarborough have treated that election. They did, in fact, lose that election. And they also lost in 2016, and they did not respect the will of the voters that year either. In fact, they undermined the duly elected winner for his entire time in office. Most people would notice that immediately as treason. That's what they do in fascist countries. Hey, Steve Scalise, that's not what they do here. All right. 
All right, go back. I think I think you need to go back and uh, take some civics classes. Maybe maybe they've got a civics class where you live in a community college, and 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 relearn civics. This is this is just absolutely so, uh, just despicable. Uh, a year. Ah, yes, a year later, it's so despicable to talk about this. Sorry, Joe, a year later and fewer people than ever believe what you are saying. No one needs to take civics classes. Maybe you do, Morning Joe. The funny thing is that Morning Joe tries this nonsense, okay? Steve Scalise is a Republican leader. He is a pretty good member of Congress or even a very good member of Congress. And Joe Scarborough is trying to get his audience of child brains communists on his side so that they all feel and agree that all of them collectively know more about civics than Steve Scalise does and that he might need to return to community college, not a university, right? Not a four-year college, a community college. Steve Scalise needs community college civics. That is what Morning Joe is saying. And he knows that the college-educated communists listening to him We'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's speaking to us. Haha, <laughs> Steve Scalise doesn't know civics. I bet he doesn't even have a college degree. Except, you know, of course he does. These people are melting down. There is a reason why they are melting down, and it's because they understand that they have lost the plot. They've lost the control on the narrative. And that is very, very dangerous when everything you do is based on the narrative and not on the results. Because the results of the things that the Democrat Communist Party does are always, always terrible, which is why everything in our society is collapsing right now with the illegitimate president pretending to actually have a way to fix everything. The Build Back Better agenda is meant specifically to end America as we know it. There is not another goal. Okay, it is to make all of the Western nations no longer sovereign nations so that they can all be subsumed into global communism. That's the point. The point is not to save us from the sun. Now, if you are paying attention to the info stream and if you are a consumer of what we for some reason still have to call alternative media then you will know Southwest is collapsing, the airline, Southwest. They had to cancel all sorts of flights this weekend because of the vaccine mandates. Alex Berenson published this yesterday, and this is a decent summary, but there's all sorts of information out there right now that you can find about this, okay? This is from his Substack, and I've talked about this before. Alex Berenson got banned from Twitter, and he never bothered creating other platforms. So now he's using Substack as Twitter. And I hope he's doing really well on it, but that's what you get for limiting your conversation to what's in Twitter's Overton window and then thinking that you're just going to get to stay there forever if you behave well enough. He made that mistake. Hopefully he won't make it again. A Southwest Airlines pilot explains why you will not hear anything about vaccine mandates from his union and why Southwest has more flexibility than it than it admits to stand up to the White House. 
The pilot emailed following the first Southwest post today and provided his Southwest Airlines ID to prove his identity. He asked that I paraphrase the email. So here it is. Okay. Essentially, the union cannot organize or even acknowledge the sick out. That's what's being called a sick out because doing so would make it an illegal job action. Years ago, Southwest and its pilots had a rough negotiation and the union would not even let the pilots internally discuss the possibility of working to rule, which would have slowed Southwest to a crawl. But at the moment, the pilots don't even have to talk to each other about what they're doing. The anger internally, not just among pilots, but other Southwest workers is enormous. The tough prior negotiations notwithstanding, Southwest has a history of decent labor relations and workers believe that the company should stand up for them against the mandate. Telling pilots in particular to comply or face termination has backfired. Meanwhile, Southwest has more flexibility than it has acknowledged. Federal contracts represent about 3% of its revenue, but even the Biden administration cannot alter existing contracts. Southwest is only at risk of losing future contracts. This pilot believes that the fact that the airlines received $25 billion in no strings attached cash for, quote, payroll support last year, as well as another $25 billion in loans, has made them particularly reluctant to stand up to the Biden administration. Southwest CEO Gary Kelly may be in an especially tough spot since he is the head of the airline lobbying group. And right there, you see what this is. That's $50 billion from the feds to support Southwest's business throughout the pandemic period, which means that Southwest is more or less owned by the federal government. And they will do the federal government's bidding, which is what they have done to this point. And they are still being threatened into compliance with the federal government. Now, a comment in the comment section yesterday, a bunch of uh, airline employees started commenting into this uh, post, which is great. This is how the new information stream works. You have to actually listen to these people because they are giving you the news better than the mainstream media outlets are giving it to you. And the mainstream media outlets will be like, well, how do you know that's a pilot? Well, you could ask them and you could trust them when a hundred of them are there saying similar things. One of them said, when pilots run out of sick calls, it's the mechanics, then flight attendants, then ground crew, rinse and repeat. Okay. So they'll just use their sick days as long as they need to, to shut down the business effectively. They are making it impossible for the airlines to fly. And hey, if that's what needs to happen, that's what needs to happen. Now, it seems also that the government is trying to get the airlines to impose all these vaccine mandates by Thanksgiving, because what they want is this sort of situation to disrupt the holidays. And we can see that they are trying to disrupt the holidays in countless ways. Our supply chains are breaking down. Do we have the products? Yep. Why can't they get transported? Who knows? Because that's what happens in socialist governments. But it seems like the dark winter is starting to take shape. They are trying to make it so that people can't travel home for the holidays due to these vaccine mandates. They are trying to make it so that people can't buy Christmas gifts. They want everything to fall apart. And store shelves are beginning to go bare. We're seeing pictures out of targets around the nation with empty shelves. Now, I'm not saying the entire store is empty. I'm just saying 
that products they normally stock are not available. And this is true all around the nation, which leads one to think after these massive corporations have forced their essential workers into getting vaccinated to keep their jobs and the essential workers comply because they are too scared about their financial future to stand up for themselves. They may still end up out of a job anyway. Once these business models break down, if target doesn't have the products coming in, then they don't need as many stock people, do they? And if no one is in there buying products because the products aren't there, then they don't need as many cashiers. So all of a sudden, all these people that went along and complied will find that they do not have jobs anyway. Everything that people hold on to that they hope they can retain by complying will be taken from them anyway. Okay. You have to understand that. That is the entire purpose of what's happening right now. You do not get to keep the things you value in life, including your freedom by complying. As information comes out now about how devastating these vaccines actually are, the number of vaccine injuries. And by the way, the other day there was a report about how two five-year-olds accidentally got the COVID vaccine. They were meant to get the flu shot. Oops. Oops. They just shot my kid with an experimental gene therapy. Oops. How many more reports of that will we be seeing? Probably a lot. Maybe they don't have enough children being offered up for sacrifice to the gods of public health. Maybe parents are starting to smarten up and Anthony Fauci is not getting the target demographic he wanted. But a friend of mine was telling me about an experience her friend had. Her friend was relaying a story that she had a personal incident with her son having a vaccine injury and she was accused online of fear mongering. Okay. That is what vaccines are now trying to accuse people of is fear mongering. Talking about vaccine injuries is not fear mongering. It is a warning to anyone who is unvaxxed. Hey, you might want to give this some thought. And honestly, for people who are vaccinated at this point, warnings about this stuff might lead them to do some research and figure out how they can attempt to uh, restore their immune system and counteract the effects of this experimental gene therapy because they're going to be hurt by it sooner or later. There is ample reason now to say that the vaccine isn't protecting anyone. We know that. That is basically admitted. We are expected to believe that the vaccine generates antibodies and that those antibodies are doing a great job at saving people's lives from the coronavirus. Although it turns out a lot of the people who are getting the vaccine, especially all of the ones under 65, were in very little danger of dying in the first place. And they are actually having worse COVID now than before while incurring the risk of the vaccine. So one thing we are not doing is fear mongering, 
But the interesting thing is what kind of complaint is fear mongering? They are already afraid and they are mad that you are reminding them that they have good reason to be afraid. And if I was vaccinated, I would be afraid as well. If you are, hey, sorry, not trying to scare you or fear monger. But if you made a bad decision, you should be looking into ways to rectify that decision. That is just normal prudence. Okay. It's not fear mongering, normal prudence. It is prudent to understand what you allowed to be injected into your body and then how you might counteract its negative effects. And hopefully you won't experience any of them. Hopefully you won't, but it's totally possible that you will. And you want to go into it clear eyed because you already listened to the wrong people and made a mistake. So stop making it worse. And, you know, I'm thinking this morning about these supply chain breakdowns, about the travel breakdowns, about what Christmas is going to be like, about how these vaxies are still pretending that they made the right decision and everyone else has to do it too. They are talking about how all of us need to look out for their health. People we don't know and we will never cross paths with. We need to look out for everyone's health by getting vaccinated ourselves even though our vaccination will not prevent us from getting the disease or spreading the disease, thereby making it abundantly clear that we can't protect other people by vaccinating ourselves. But on their moral principle at work here, they're proposing that we have a moral obligation to everyone else to take on an unwarranted health risk so that we can pretend to help them not get sick, even though they've taken the vaccine. That's what it is. They think we have to do it for them and for everyone else, because now they have taken on the idea that they are not an individual. They are only part of a collective. Except the thing is, if you actually have that morality, then why is it okay for all of you to force all of us into existing in a black market economy, which is what this is all leading to, by the way, that's where this is going. And that is what they want, apparently. So I mentioned earlier that Darren Beatty just put out a great piece in revolver.news last night about January 6th, making it even clearer that federal agents and informants and assets were responsible for most of what is being referred to as the insurrection, the attempt to overthrow the government by extremist groups of Trump supporters. All of it was a farce. And Darren Beatty does an excellent job of showing the mechanics of how that happened and how obvious it was that it was a setup because the people most primarily responsible for setting up the event 
The first of which being Stuart Rhodes, who is the ostensible leader of the Oath Keepers. He is not being charged with anything and not being investigated. He is the uh, unindicted co-conspirator listed, listed as person one in the charging documents. And it's a long piece. I hope you take the time and go through it because it is well worth it. But I want to focus today on a piece in Politico that came out on Friday uh, Friday afternoon, and it didn't get a lot of attention. So I want to draw some attention to it. Capitol Police whistleblower delivers scathing rebuke to two of its senior leaders, January 6th. A former high ranking Capitol Police official with knowledge of the department's response to the January 6th attack has sent congressional leaders a scathing letter accusing two of its senior leaders of mishandling intelligence and failing to respond properly during the riot. The whistleblower who requested an anonymity for privacy reasons and left the force months after the attack sent the 16 page letter late last month to the top members of both parties in the House and Senate. His missive makes scorching allegations against Sean Gallagher, the Capitol Police's acting chief of uniformed operations, and Yogananda Pittman, its assistant chief of police for protective and intelligence operations, who also served as its former acting chief. The whistleblower accuses Gallagher and Pittman of deliberately choosing not to help officers under attack on January 6th and alleges that Pittman lied to Congress about an intelligence report the Capitol Police received before that day's riot. After a lengthy career in the department, the whistleblower was a senior official on duty on January 6th. The whistleblower's criticism went beyond Capitol Police leaders to Congress. Without naming specific lawmakers, his letter accuses congressional leaders of having, quote, purposefully failed end quote, to tell the truth about the department's failures. Politico obtained the letter detailing the allegations, which is circulating among Capitol Police officers and is publishing portions of it here. To protect the whistleblower's identity, Politico is not publishing the letter in full. Of course they're not. But the letter in full is still available and you can find it on the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator where the identity of the sender is simply redacted. Quote, the truth may be valued less than politics by many members of the congressional community to include those that have made decisions about the leadership of the United States Capitol Police post January 6th. But I believe the truth still matters to real people and certainly the men and women of the U.S. Capitol Police, the whistleblower wrote. A spokesperson for the Capitol Police sent a statement in response to the letter that begins, quote, a lot has changed since January 6th. Although there is more work to do, many of the problems described in the letter have been addressed, end quote. That's not true. The real problems are the fact that the Capitol Police are totally unaccountable. They are not subject to FOIA requests and they are run by the Congress who are also totally unaccountable in a system where election fraud is permitted. The members of Congress are accountable to their constituents. If the constituents can't vote out the members of Congress, then the members of Congress are unaccountable. And that is exactly what happens with Nancy Pelosi. For instance, she is not even accountable to the other party in elections because California made it so that two Democrats could run against one another in a general election, which is utterly insane, totally communist and completely and obviously highly Californian. 
The spokesperson added that the department, quote, has implemented and continues to implement many of the critical recommendations called for in a Senate inquiry into January 6th, a separate review conducted by retired Lieutenant General Russell Honore and multiple probes by its own inspector general. So basically they did what they decided they would do in response to that incident, but failed to actually describe what the incident really was. So if you lie about something and make a bunch of recommendations based on those lies, then you actually haven't done anything to fix the problem. And that's kind of the point. And then this Politico article goes on and on, making sure that you know you don't need to read the letter, you don't need to know what it says, and the Capitol Police already have it under control, which is why, for instance, something like this gets printed in Politico in the first place. Okay, this is an exercise in saying, hey, this thing happened. We have no choice but to cover it. So what we're going to do is present it in a way that makes it sound like there is no problem here. There's nothing to look at. And please certainly do not read that letter. So what are we going to do? We're going to read some of the letter. Dear Madam Speaker and respective leaders, the U.S. Senate Joint Committee report faults the USCP's intelligence for failing to inform USCP's planning and operations referenced January 6th. It states that the failure of USCP's intelligence to convey critical information adversely impacted the USCP's security and operational planning ability to prepare for the 6th. Reference the Senate report, the OIG stated that their assessment was, quote, spot on. This document is filed as a whistleblower and focuses on two primary topics. One is the failures of Chiefs Pittman and Gallagher of the USCP leading up to on and after January 6th. The second is the topic of the failed honesty of the congressional community with the members of the USCP. As this document focuses on the leadership of the Congress, it mostly speaks of command USCP officials. It is not meant to minimize the heroic efforts of so many incredible officers, supervisors, and civilians throughout the department. I truly have the utmost respect and gratitude for their bravery and efforts before, on, and since January 6th. The congressional community speaks of honoring the brave men and women of the USCP with a gold medal, awards, and monetary benefits. As honor and honesty are derived from the same Latin root, I submit you can't honor without honesty. The OIG stated in his initial testimony that it was important to deliver the truth for the officers. I assert that the truth of the leadership intelligence failures of the 6th is purposefully not being delivered to the officers and public. I assert that those that failed so epically are purposefully not being held accountable. Also, those that did perform at a high level are being marginalized so as not to highlight the failures of those two chiefs. The truth may be valued less than politics by many members of the congressional community to include those that have made decisions about the leadership of the USCP post January 6th. But I believe the truth still matters to real people and certainly the men and women of the Capitol Police. Trust most everyone knows the truth about the intelligence failure and who is to blame. It is offensive for congressional entities to think it is not obvious to most of the members of the department. The continued attempts to purport otherwise only tarnishes the reputation of the Congress. The sad conclusion that has yet to be reached is that these two chiefs failed so bad that they have forfeited their ability to lead the department. Okay, does that sound like the presentation Politico was giving? This whistleblower is looking directly at congressional leadership, starting with Nancy Pelosi, and holding them directly responsible. Why? 
because they are directly responsible. The Senate report was enlightening for those that knew much of the truth. It revealed some of the lies being told behind closed doors to the committees. Though the Senate report revealed some of the lies, it stopped short of calling the acting chief a liar, but they knew she did. Moreover, the fact that most other entities have published some information that is demonstrably inaccurate, incomplete, and or failed to publish corroborated information is a shameful ruse on the members of the U.S. Capitol Police. This concerted effort to protect the two members of the department without questioning the most responsible for the tragic events of January 6th is repulsive. Protecting their failures and the failures of others at the cost of the esteem of every other commander of the department is unconscionable. To allow these two to hide within a cloak that the department failed has the overt stench of politics unlike anything I saw in my 31 years on the Hill. This lack of accountability has directly led to mass resignations of officials and officers that, amongst other reasons, refuse to work for two of the most unethical leaders in the history of the department. The fact of the matter is those two failed in every facet of their jobs. And in doing so, they failed every member of the department, the Congress and the country. This is not just my opinion. It is supported by the facts in reports already written and testimony to investigators. Recently, I read a press release where these same two individuals, along with a couple other senior commanders that failed leading up to on and after January 6th, want to hold officers accountable for their performance that day. These two officials failures is what directly led to the officers being placed in an outnumbered, overwhelming and violent situations where the consequences included catastrophic injuries and deaths to officers. Officers trying to defuse those situations by whatever means possible should be afforded great leniency by the department and especially these two who failed them for them to celebrate holding officers accountable in a press release as they and their friends are given more than a free pass is a reflection on their leadership, the department and the entire congressional community parading these officers to the public to create the facade of accountability while refusing to perform at a minimum at minimum, a cursory investigation of themselves and other officers that they know didn't provide any level of leadership prior to and on the sixth is unconscionable. The irony and hypocrisy are breathtaking. Since January 6th, I have attempted to ensure accountability for those responsible for the January 6th failure. One committee promised they would interview me numerous times, but this never occurred. As I understand, one side didn't want facts that differed from what was already provided. After almost six months, I was finally interviewed for the first and only time for almost two hours by the OIG about command and control. There were many questions to me about what I did that day and the performance of others to include Pittman and Gallagher. I then read OIG report number five on command and control and realized nothing was included. The information I provided corroborated by others about failures of Pittman and Gallagher on the sixth was absent. There was nothing about their failures in the document except a veiled suggestion about training on what their job is during an emergency. The lack of any assignment of responsibility or accountability for their gross failures and their press release on officer accountability for the sixth is too much. This continued neglect of accountability and the lack of publication of their failures leading up to on and post January 6th is unacceptable. Their failures have been marginalized, negligibly investigated, categorically underreported and without accountability. In fact, as pointed out by many, they have been restored to their exact same positions as if they were not responsible for the single greatest intelligence failure in the history of the U.S. Capitol Police is astounding. As if they are not the most answerable 
leaders on the department for the death and injuries, physical and emotional, to the brave officers and officials from the USCP and every agency. The fact they don't feel the accountability and enough shame to resign, but believe they should be promoted reflects their true character. It also reflects directly on the Congress. Sadly, the command and control report and the other reports have failed to recognize those commanders, like so many officers and other supervisors, that more than rose to the occasion on, on the 6th. Those that truly did lead. There is no mention of the handful of senior officials, along with officers and supervisors, that truly fought harder and longer than anyone in the history of the department. There were commanders that led and fought with such bravery and resolve that can only be described in words that are reserved for few people in history, such as epically and heroically. Their gallantry and leadership that day are recorded in video for all to see. Their efforts, especially after being failed by these commanders who oversaw intelligence and the area command to protect the Congress and dedication to the mission and officers are more than worthy of note in a command and control report. It is shameful that since the 6th, the Congress and the department led by those two failures have sought to protect themselves at the expense of the leadership heroes of the day, such as Eric Waldo, Thomas Lloyd, and many others. Now, I just want to stop a second and note here, you are hearing from what someone in a senior position with the U.S. Capitol Police believes about what happened that day. This isn't me. This isn't anyone on the right. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This is what actually happened with the Capitol Police and the cover up that ensued afterward. And if you read the Darren Beatty Revolver News contributions to the January 6th story, then you will understand why I mock the media in pretending that this was some very violent insurrection meant to overthrow the government. This is the worst attack on our capital in the nation's history. This is the most violent act since the Civil War. All that nonsense. People like Dino Badali, you could hear him talking about how over and over again, the big lie is what caused January 6th? No, this is what caused January 6th. Exactly what I've always said. It is a tragedy Waldau and Lloyd were not acknowledged for their leadership and heroism. I challenge any entity to review the video footage of Eric Waldo on the West Front and refute this fact. This hero ran into the fight on the West Front, and the first person he engaged was a man assaulting a USCP officer. He then rallies troops and leads officers for hours as demonstrators targeted him for his courage and leadership. He was decontaminated so many times, only momentarily stepping off the line to have water poured on his face, and then he launched himself immediately back into the fight with the other officers. When the Lower West Terrace fell, he could, he could be observed on the Upper West Terrace, rallying officers and fighting with such tenacity to still hold the building. He never left the fight, never. At the end of the night, after the building was resecured, he finally responded for a debrief. He was literally unrecognizable from the burns to his swollen face. You could tell he, like so many other officers and officials, had given it their all. Thomas Lloyd was everywhere that day and providing leadership at locations throughout the Capitol building. He was quick into the fight on the West Front and fought to hold the building. After the building fell, he proceeded to direct subordinates and the reinforcements to resecure individual areas of the building. As he stabilized one area, he immediately moved on to the next location and fight. He was easily the USCP official most responsible for resecuring the Capitol building, and it seemed like he was everywhere at once restoring order and security. 
any attempt by any person or entity to diminish the performance of any official as an incident commander is uninformed and tasteless. The incident commanders were doomed from the start by the failures of area command, who is ultimately responsible in the ICS system. Area command is the one that provides the intelligence and resources needed for the incident commanders. I submit the deliberate failure to acknowledge the efforts of these two heroes and others was purposefully to ensure the failures of Pittman and Gallagher were not highlighted. It also calls into question why these two, without any investigation, were named to lead the agency, even though they failed every member of the department. These failures and inactions of these two prior to and on the 6th unquestionably contributed to the death of officers and the serious physical and emotional injury of hundreds of other members of law enforcement. It contributed to the death of citizens and caused harm to the reputation of the Congress, the U.S. Capitol Police and other commanders. Yet the truth of their performance is not in the command and control report and appears to be of little importance to the congressional community. It is obvious that the congressional community has purposefully failed to provide the truth to the members of the USCP that fought so valiantly to protect them on the sixth. This level of dishonesty must start at the top and taints every level of USCP oversight throughout this Congress. Thus, I submit this document to the addressed congressional entities to formally report severe violations of policies and law by Pittman and Gallagher leading up to on and after January 6th. I believe the investigations of these specific failures will provide significant illumination and provide a contrast to the, quote, truth that has been provided to date to the rank and file of the department. These allegations, which will be further detailed, are already corroborated by reports and testimony. And then he goes into the allegations and obviously for the sake of time and for the sake of me not wanting to read you something for an hour, I would suggest you go back and take a look at the rest of this document and maybe I'll get into some more of it uh, tomorrow. But the important thing is to know that this is there and that someone intimately involved in this situation is speaking out in this voice. Okay. Does that sound like someone who doesn't see the corruption? This entire thing is corruption. And of course, it's going to crumble down upon all of these people. Hopefully, Nancy Pelosi and hopefully the Capitol Police to the point where some method of accountability is enacted for the Capitol Police that doesn't include Nancy Pelosi and leaders like that who are more than happy to use the Capitol Police as their own Praetorian Guard knowing they can go outside of the law because they're the only people that could ever hold the Capitol Police accountable. But what needs to be understood is that January 6th was a farce, okay? It was set up, it was planned, it was executed. Now, other spontaneous action occurred that day. And I am certain that some of the people who were acting badly that day were in fact Trump supporters. All right. You don't have to deny the entire thing to say that clearly the way this story is being used is false on a number of levels. If the truth were the story that the media told that the Democrats have used, by the way, for a sham impeachment about a president who is, quote unquote, no longer in office. If that story was true. They wouldn't need to cover it up and this whistleblower account would not exist, but it does exist 
because that story is not true at all. And everyone with a brain already knows it. All right. I hope all you guys had a wonderful weekend. Big news week ahead. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble, and bit shoot. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!